0: Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Laymiller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. I have been studying the science of sex for more than a decade, and during this time, I've learned a lot about what turns people on, from the vanilla to the very, very kinky. Just when I thought I'd heard it all, I embarked on a study that ultimately became the largest and most comprehensive survey of sexual fantasies ever conducted in the United States. And this study formed the basis for Tell Me What You Want. As part of this survey, I asked more than 4,000 people to describe their biggest sexual fantasy of all time in their own words. Most of the fantasies that emerged weren't particularly surprising to me and focused on things like threesomes, BDSM and adding novelty and variety into one's sex life, such as experimenting with sex toys or trying a new position. However, there were some fantasies mentioned by only a handful of people that really stuck out because they just aren't things you hear about every day, even if you're someone like me who happens to study sex for a living. So what we're going to do today is look at four unique fantasy themes I came across in my survey. And while the details of them might strike you as unusual... What you'll see is that when you strip them down to their core, they're really not so unusual after all. They're just creative variations on things that turn most of us on. To help me put this show together, I invited Rose Carraway to narrate the actual fantasies that my participants provided. So she'll read a fantasy, and then I'll tell you a bit about the psychology behind it. Rose is the perfect narrator for this job because she runs an erotica podcast of her own. So who better to help bring these stories to life? Rose is a writer, editor, and publisher. Her show is called The Kiss Me Quick's Erotica Podcast. She also served as the narrator for Dr. David Lay's fantastic book, Insatiable Wives. This is going to be a fun and fascinating episode. Stick around, and we're going to jump in right after the break. The Kinsey Institute at Indiana University has been investigating issues of sex, gender, and relationships for 75 years. To commemorate the Institute's 75th anniversary, they will be hosting events all throughout the year, including art exhibitions, research lectures, a book club, dance performances, and much more. Visit their website at kinseyinstitute.org or follow them on social media for the latest details. You can follow them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Kinsey Institute. The Modern Sex Therapy Institutes provides continuing education certifications, and a PhD in sexology to mental health and medical professionals across the globe. MSTi is a one-stop shop for ASEC sex therapy certification requirements, including education, sexual attitude reassessment, and supervision. MSTi offers flexible payment plans and learning options. Attend from anywhere in the world and learn from experts on sex and relationships. For more information on their programs and offerings, visit modernsextherapyinstitutes.com. That's Modern sex therapy Institutes. Com. Let's talk about sexual fantasies. I have four of them that I want to share with you today. The first is a fantasy I often talk about when I'm a guest on other podcasts, because one of the most common questions I get asked is whether any fantasies surprised me, or if I learned about any completely new fantasies during my research. This is always the first one that comes to mind. So here it is in the actual words of one of my research participants, as read by Rose Carraway. The
1: Human Cow One of my biggest fantasies is to be turned into a human cow. I want to be completely dehumanized and sexualized. I want to be used for sex and be inseminated to get pregnant so I will produce milk. Forced to take hormones so my breasts would become teats and swell. My nipples would elongate from constant use. I fantasize about being put out in public and used as a milk machine where anyone can use me for my milk or have sex with me whenever they want. There is a lot more to it than that, but in general, that is the overall fantasy.
0: Out of the thousands of fantasies I received, there was only one human cow. However, I couldn't help but wonder if other people had fantasized about something similar before, too, so I did some digging. When I first looked this up a few years ago, I discovered about 1,500 hits for Human Cow on Pornhub. I also found dozens of erotic fiction novels on Amazon exploring this theme, as well as an active subreddit devoted to the genre. However, the popularity of this interest seems to have grown quite a bit since then. When I revisited my searches a few years later, there were more than 150,000 hits on Pornhub, hundreds of related books on Amazon, And the human cow subreddit had tripled in size to over 60,000 members. On a side note, human cow is often abbreviated as Hugh Cow, H-U-Cow. So if you're looking for human cow, porn or erotica, search for human cow or Hugh Cow. We can't say with certainty what the prevalence of this fantasy is in the overall population, because as far as I know, no one has ever asked on a survey, have you ever been turned on by the idea of being a human cow or interacting with a human cow? Now, despite the apparent growth in interest, it's probably still best characterized as a niche kink. In fact, in discussing this fantasy with various audiences over the years, I found that it's rare to find someone who has heard of it even when I'm talking about it with other sex researchers or therapists. So what is it that people find appealing about the idea of being a human cow? If I've learned anything about sexual fantasies through the course of all of my work, it's that different people may be drawn to the same fantasy for very different reasons. So it's probably not just one thing. However, here are a few of the possible appeals. First, the human cow fantasy typically involves themes of dominance and submission. There is also sometimes bondage, forced sex, and masochism present. And masochism, in case you're not familiar with the term, refers to receiving pleasure from the experience of pain. For some people, then, the appeal of the human cow might center around a broader interest in BDSM. The human cow fantasy also has a lot of fetishistic elements to it, especially surrounding breast milk and the act of milking someone or being milked. Pregnancy fetishes are also sometimes part of this fantasy. So for some, the human cow fantasy may simply be a unique way of expressing a body fluid or impregnation fetish. There's also a transformation element present in which the fantasizer is temporarily becoming another creature. So in Hugh cow porn, for example, you'll often see a woman's head on a cow's body. Physical transformation fantasies provide a form of psychological escape that reduces self-awareness. This type of escape is appealing to many people because it can allow them to relax and be in the moment because you don't have to think about yourself, your concerns, or your insecurities. You've literally become someone or something else that doesn't have your baggage. Then there's also the novel and taboo elements of this fantasy. We know that human beings are inherently turned on by sexual novelty, and the Hugh Cow fantasy presents something new and different to most people. At the same time, there's a transgressive element to it, too. It's not something you're supposed to do during sex. Taboos, in general, are a major turn-on. This goes back to something that the psychologist Jack Moran said in his famous book, The Erotic Mind, He described something called the erotic equation, which basically means attraction plus obstacles equals excitement. So, if there's even the slightest inkling towards something, and then you throw up these obstacles toward it, these barriers, that makes it all the more enticing and exciting. That's part of the broader appeal of taboos in our sexual fantasies. People may be drawn to Hugh Cow fantasies, porn, or erotic fiction for any or all of these reasons and there may be reasons other than the ones I mentioned. As I mentioned, this isn't a topic that has yet received any scientific study, so we'd really need some research before drawing firm conclusions about the origins or prevalence of this kink. That said, what you see with a deeper analysis of Hugh Cow fantasies and erotica is a reflection of several core fantasy themes. There's an element of novelty, doing something taboo, and an incorporation of power play that creates an intense escape from reality. All right, let's move on to fantasy number two. Once again, here's Rose.
1: The Human Doll My husband dresses me up in a doll mask and outfit. Then he tells me that he invited a sexy woman over. He inserts a butt plug in me and instructs me that I will not be allowed to speak or move while the other woman is over. I am the hostess doll remaining fully clothed while he and this sex woman enjoy each other's company and proceed to have wild sex. I sit silent and motionless in discomfort, but the scene is very hot watching my husband fuck this sexy chick. Her sounds are very sexy. Her naked body is beautiful and sweaty. I am seeing my husband with new eyes— just like how this sexy chick must see him. He looks very dominant, very primal in his fucking of this other woman. He is so attractive, fucking her. I am hindered from touching myself as my hands are gloved. I am fully clothed, and I am unable to move. I empathize, but now feel jealous from their shared sexual enjoyment. I can see everything, but all they see of me, is a doll. It turns me on to think about being in such a predicament.
0: I think the temptation when you hear this fantasy is to focus on the human doll aspect. But what's really interesting to me about this fantasy is the way it overlaps with another fairly popular sexual fantasy known as cuckolding. This is when someone derives arousal from watching their partner have sex with another person. More often than not, it's a man serving as the role of watcher, but some women are clearly turned on by the idea of taking on that voyeuristic role as well, as demonstrated by this fantasy. Cuckolding often has a BDSM component to it in which the watcher or observer takes on a submissive role and is sometimes humiliated in the process. There are also often elements of forced sex. So sometimes the watcher is tied up or bound and made to watch. In the human doll fantasy, there wasn't physical bondage, but there was still that element of being forced to do something. Although, to be clear, when you're fantasizing about something being forced on you, it's not really forced, because you're in control of the fantasy. So it's something that you ultimately want to happen, but you're sort of pretending like you don't want it to happen. There's also often this masochistic element of feeling super turned on, but not being able to do anything about it. So, there's that mix of pleasure and pain. There's this intense sexual arousal and urge for gratification, but you can't do anything about it. The participant also mentioned feeling jealous. So, there's also some psychological pain present as well. And that's juxtaposed with the intense arousal she feels from the scenario. It's a predicament, as she calls it. I think this is why some folks talk about cuckolding as an erotization of fear. That is, They're finding pleasure in the fear of their partner committing infidelity or being into someone more than they are into you. In cuckolding fantasies, the appeal isn't just about power play and BDSM, though. There's also often this element of compersion where you're getting pleasure from seeing your partner's sexual satisfaction. And that's certainly part of the example fantasy I shared, where this woman was talking about how hot her husband was and how arousing it was to watch him have sex with someone else. But it was also about seeing her partner in a different light. It's almost as if she was watching this scenario while psychologically taking on the role of the other woman, because she mentioned being able to see her partner as this other woman sees him. So in a way, she is both the watcher and the other woman, and getting this totally different perspective on what sex with her partner is like. It might also be a way of recreating those intense feelings of passion she had when she first met her partner, or vicariously living out what it felt like to be with him when everything was so new and so intense. So this human doll fantasy is really just a creative vehicle for expressing an interest in cuckolding in a scenario that has themes of both BDSM and compersion. Do a lot of people fantasize about literally becoming a hostess doll? Probably not. But the broader cuckolding scenario described is very common. And the core themes present here are, again, that act of novelty, power exchange, and doing something taboo, right? Because it's violating the norm of monogamy within marriage. Also, just like the human cow fantasy, there's that physical transformation element present. Okay. Okay. Let's move on to fantasy number three. Once again, here's Rose.
1: Getting Eaten Alive My favorite and most reoccurring sexual fantasy has been the idea of me getting eaten by a creature unwillingly. I get picked up by the creature unexpectedly in their mouth and rolled about on their tongue. They suck on me like a piece of candy. Then I'm swallowed down whole and alive, landing in their stomach. At this point, they usually eat something like pudding, which then makes me even more icky. After struggling in their stomach, I pass out and get digested.
0: 10 of my participants described their favorite fantasy of all time as vore, V-O-R-E, which refers to the desire to literally be eaten alive by other persons or creatures that's what we're seeing in this fantasy that Rose just read. Related to this, some people fantasize about consuming others, and some people fantasize about creatures eating other creatures, where they're not even a part of the action. So four can go in a lot of different directions. In terms of the prevalence of this particular type of fantasy, I'm not aware of any studies that have specifically attempted to explore what percentage of the population has ever had a fantasy. But in my data, it was only about two-tenths of 1% of my participants who explicitly described a fantasy along these lines. This would seem to make it fairly uncommon relative to other types of fantasies. The limited research I've seen on Vararophilia finds that it's mostly men who fantasize about this, and in the sample fantasy we just heard, the participant identified as male. And just as a side note, it's interesting to point out that gender wasn't mentioned at all in this fantasy. The key thing is that the monster is sucking on him like a piece of candy and eating him. But the gender of the monster doesn't seem to matter. However, in other varara fantasies, gender is key. For example, a few of my participants talked about being eaten by a giantess, a really large woman. So gender may or may not be a component of these fantasies. Also, I should mention, they're not always about oral consumption either. Sometimes they're about being unbirthed, I guess you could say. This is where a person is swallowed whole and live by a vagina. I saw a scene like this on the TV show American Gods. I think that's the first time I've ever seen Vararophilia depicted in the popular media, and it was fascinating. So, if you haven't seen it, it's worth checking out. Many Vararophilia fantasies have a pretty big element of BDSM to them, especially dominance and submission and sadomasochism. You're being completely overpowered by a larger person, a monster, or some creature. So, in this way, there's that element of force that we also saw in the human cow and human doll fantasies there also seems to be an element of humiliation here, especially when the pudding enters the picture. But like all of the fantasies we've discussed so far, we're seeing novelty, right? Something you've never experienced in real life. There's also this taboo element to it. Then there's the power play. And again, there's that sort of physical transformation element. For example, in this particular case, you're literally transformed when you get digested. Are you starting to connect the dots yet? All right, let's move on to our fourth and final fantasy today. Once again, here's Rose.
1: Taken by Tentacles My favorite fantasy has to be one involving tentacles, where I'm trapped by some alien or plant being that has to use me as part of its reproductive cycle. I'm pleasured in multiple orifices at once with the tentacles, which also stimulate my breasts. While this is happening, I'm impregnated with the being's spawn. I then experience pregnancy and deliver the spawn, only for the process to begin again and again. It's a nice fantasy that fulfills all of my fetishes at once. Impregnation, multiple penetration,
0: and tentacles. Six of my participants said their biggest sex fantasy of all time involved tentacles in some way. As another example, one person said she wanted to have sex with an octopus. In all of these cases, the individual expressed the desire to be penetrated by multiple tentacles simultaneously. And sometimes, like we saw in the fantasy that Rose just read, to be impregnated by the creature. Again, there's a dominant submission component here. There's also that element of force, which has come up in every single one of these fantasies. So why is being forced to do something such a turn-on? We're going to return to that in the next episode, because I think that topic is worth taking a deeper dive into. But it's clear that giving up control and playing with power is central to all of the fantasies that we've discussed today. Tentacle fantasies have some other interesting features, too. For example, there's a parallel to group sex fantasies here, in that the person is being pleasured by multiple appendages all at once and they're the center of attention. These people tend to describe an overwhelming amount of physical stimulation akin to what one might experience as the center of attention in an orgy. So in some ways, it's just kind of a unique take on group sex. In addition, at least for women, there's sometimes a pregnancy fetish that goes along with tentacle fantasies and, incidentally, human-cow fantasies. So once again, we're dealing with novelty, novelty, Power play and taboos. And there's also a physical transformation of sorts here, too, where the fantasizer becomes the incubator or womb for the alien. She's no longer herself, she's an object. That's another way to think about all four of these fantasies we've been discussing. In all of these cases, the individual transforms from person to object, whether that object is a cow, a doll, a piece of candy, or an alien breeding machine. What I hope you've learned from all of this is that fantasies that might initially sound unusual are often just creative expressions of the same core things that turn most other people on as well. So in that sense, they're actually pretty normal. There's nothing really that unusual about them. If anything, you might just say that these folks are unusually creative. That said, people who have these more fantastical fantasies, I guess you could call them, do tend to share certain traits. This is something I've seen in my data. For example, fantasies like the ones we've been talking about today are more common among those with overactive imaginations in general. These folks have what is known as a fantasy-prone personality, meaning they're often daydreaming. And these folks have more fantasies about almost everything you can think of. So they're just pretty active fantasizers in general. And people who have one fantastical fantasy often have others of this nature, such as sex in outer space or sex in a science fiction setting. Fantasies like this, these fantastical fantasies, are also linked to having more BDSM and more taboo fantasies in general. So people who are especially drawn to these types of things may be more likely to craft these very creative scenarios. I also see some links to attachment style. Fantastical fantasies are linked to being more anxiously attached, which means having more fear of abandonment, as well as having a more avoidant attachment style, which means being uncomfortable with intimacy and closeness. For anxiously attached individuals, fantasizing about a fictional character or setting or becoming an object might provide some comfort by taking some of the stress and anxiety out of the equation By contrast, for those who are more avoidantly attached, fantasizing about a fictional scenario like this might offer the emotional distance they're looking for. To be clear, this isn't to say that everyone who has fantastical fantasies is anxiously or avoidantly attached. That's not the case at all, so let's be very clear about that. There's just an association here, an increased likelihood. So it's not a guarantee by any means. There's always vast individual variability. With all of that said, this is part of the reason I love being a sex researcher. Every time I think I've heard it all, I learn about more diversity in human sexuality. We are endlessly inventive and flexible when it comes to gratifying our sexual wants and turn-ons. Thank you for listening. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, sexandpsychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Laymiller and Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want, and stay tuned for the next episode, which will offer a deeper dive into more sexual fantasies. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.